is from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 25. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of, of, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of on, at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to, to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord. Something strange just happened. Of course. Oh. <laughs> okay, good morning. Uh, good morning, church. It's really good uh, to see you uh, today. Uh, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, uh, thank you, Huaping, uh, for leading us in worship uh, today. Uh, First meeting you a while back. We're trying to remember, right, <laughs> when we first met each other. I think it was at Burnaby Alliance where she's currently serving. Uh, so please give our greetings to Pastor Keith uh, and the rest of your leadership there as well. And uh, I remember you leading last fall at a testo. And I thought at that moment that our leadership would, uh, and our church would be blessed to have you come. Uh, so it was really great to uh, have you this morning. 
So uh, as you also heard, uh, we've stopped with the live stream, just a quick uh, announcement, uh, and we're solely gathering in person, and one of the main reasons why we're doing so is because we believe uh, at Lord's Love here that the church, we're meant to gather uh, as best as we can uh, in person, and we're called to this embodied kind of worship as we come together in the same space uh, to be present physically with one another. So uh, that's what we're doing uh, starting this Sunday, and if you do miss a Sunday, however, we're not saying, you know, we're going to be legalistic about it and whatnot. <laughs> it's like we're, we're starting a new thing where we're recording the whole service, and it will be available later on uh, on Sunday sometime. We're working out those details, but you can catch uh, the recordings, uh, video or audio, uh, if uh, you do miss our service in 1115. So we're continuing on on our series on the book of Acts, and it's called Gospel in Motion, because as we discover, uh, as we learn about what the gospel is, as we uh, uh, embody the gospel, as we live out the gospel, there's a call for us to go forth from this place with the gospel. The gospel goes into motion, into the ends of the earth, into no matter where it is that you're situated with. And as we go into this passage here in Acts 8, I thought about the story that I came across uh, a while back, but then again uh, this week. And this is Dr. Gladys West, and she's an American mathematician. She's born in 1930 in Virginia, and she's still alive. Uh, So she's turning 91, uh, this, uh, 92. Uh, She's 91 right now, turning 92 later this year. And she was born into a poor farming uh, family that was predominantly black, uh, this black community in Virginia. And in her local high school, she didn't have the money to go on for university and college. So uh, her local high school, the top Two students got a full-ride scholarship to the university. So she studied hard, and she made it through, though uh, there were still some other expenses, like the boarding wasn't covered, apparently, so she babysat on the side uh, to kind of make up for that, uh, for that expense. And she ended up majoring uh, and finishing a Bachelor of Science uh, in the Bachelor of Science program in, th- in mathematics. And when she went in, she didn't have an idea of which one she should do, and she was saying, which one is the most difficult, and I'm going to go for it, and it was math. So she went straight into that program, and which was ma- mainly studied uh, by men, right? It wasn't uh, very many women in that program. She graduated in 1952, and a couple years later, she went back to complete her uh, master's in, in mathematics. And after this, she went on to work at a naval base. And why am I telling all this? It's actually pretty important because to your, our everyday life. Uh, she's part of this naval base where it was, you know, there's racial discrimination highly. Uh, she experienced a lot of racial tension at that time, discrimination. She was the second black woman ever hired at the naval base, one of four black employees. But despite all those challenges and those relation, you know, and racial tensions, she excelled. And she was part of a few award-winning studies, uh, one of which was in the 80s, which had to do with using computers to precisely calculate and to model the shape of the earth. Now, you're like, well, that's exciting for you because you're a geo major, maybe. Uh, but again, in every day, there's a reason why. Because her hard work and her discoveries became the foundation to the little device that you hold in your hand, where maybe it helped you to get to church this morning. Uh, that little device that says, turn right in 100 meters, or take the next exit, or, why, uh, or when you hear, recalculating, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating. Her discoveries uh, and her... Uh, and, her, uh, and her studies led to what ended up becoming the global positioning system, the GPS. And for the longest time, she wasn't given the credit because she was just in the background doing her thing and, 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 and doing her work and just putting her head down and grinding at it. And little did she know, though, at that time, Gladys West, she was a pioneer to help you 
walk around and discover how to get around on this planet. And as I think about this story and as I think about Acts 8 here this morning, pioneering really is the theme here of what, it ha- what happens when you're gripped by the Holy Spirit, what happens when God infuses new life into you, that you go forth from that place, that you experience God and you go forth, and that you're pioneering a way that no one else has ever experienced as well. That for us, the big idea this morning is this, that we are all pioneers, whether we know it or not. Not just Gladys West and she, her discovery of the GPS system and her work there, but we are all pioneers. And what do I mean by this? Well, pioneer, that word comes from an old French word that means foot soldiers. And in a sense, we are foot soldiers moving forward, marching forward, not with arms, uh, with, uh, not with weapons, but really with love going forth from this place. And maybe when we think of pioneers, we think of horses and buggies, little, what is it, little house on the prairie, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or maybe it's a ship tossing about rough waves and someone saying, land ho! Like that's pioneering, right? And that's, that's discovering. But I want to encourage us this morning that whether it's you excelling in your field and doing your best, that you're a pioneer. What Making a way for your friends to know Jesus, you're a pioneer. You're a stay-at-home mom or staying a home dad, and you're making a way for your child to, to learn what life is about and to be cared for and to be loved and cherished. You are also a pioneer. The way that you are every single day, you are a pioneer. You're leading the way in fresh ways that Jesus is giving you new opportunities to proclaim his name and to make a difference every single day. And last week, uh, we saw Stephen, uh, who was also one of the seven chosen to take care of the Hellenistic widows. He outgrew his role quickly, and then he became a martyr as he proclaimed and preached before the Sanhedrin. And today, we'll look into the story of Philip, who was also one of the seven, one of the seven deacons appointed in Acts 6, and looks to us as well that he quickly outgrew his role, uh, which was in planning and administration, which we heavily need as well. But it seems like when he's taking part in that role, God had other plans for him as well, that he became this, he had this administrative role that became an evangelist uh, for the kingdom. And we read in verses 1 to 3 that this great persecution broke out and the church scattered. And this word for scattered gives an image, an imagery of seeds being blown by the wind, that as the persecution came, that these Christians, like seeds being blown by the wind, were scattered from this place. The word is diaspora. They were dispersed from that place into uh, the other parts of the world. And more on that uh, a little bit later. But this Stephen uh, that was martyred, uh, he's buried and people are mourning. Then we also read how Saul began to destroy the church. After he destroyed, uh, saw Stephen get destroyed, he went on to destroy the church. And this word for destroy gives an idea of this ravaging, hungry animal tearing its prey apart. So Saul was going around doing that to the Christians. Every Christian that he met, he was bent on destroying them. And it gives an image for us, like those videos you watch in the Amazon River, the alligator, you know, it's going through the river and comes up and rips, you know, (laughs) the prey apart, or that cheetah chasing down its prey in Africa. You know, that's the imagery uh, that, that, that we're being painted here. And though this was happening, though Saul was after the church, though the church was being persecuted, the church began to grow. The church began to grow expanding more and more and more. The more they were persecuted, the more they were pressured, the more they went forth. They became pioneers in their own field, in their own places, making way for the gospel. And we read this in verse 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So the people were scattered, like I mentioned before, like seeds being blown about in the wind. 
But scattering causes the church to grow even more. You would think that as they scattered, that they dispersed and they became less. But no, it became this, this growth uh, in, in the society, in the cities, in that place, that the church could not be stopped. And you see, the people aren't the seeds, if I'm using the illustration, that the people aren't the seeds itself, because they're the vessels. Us as Christians, uh, the gospel message inside of us, that's the seed that blossoms and grows. We are the vessel that God uses uh, to carry the message of the gospel, that uses us to make a difference in this world. And I like this quote from one of the uh, Bible commentators, persecution does to the church what wind does to the seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. That in, Bibli- in any time in history, whenever the church faces persecution, whenever the church is facing pressures from society and from culture, the church cannot be silenced because God cannot be silenced. The Holy Spirit will not be quenched, that he has power to go beyond boundaries that we think would stop him or stop the church. Whenever there's persecution, the church seems to scatter and seems to grow even more. Like these helicopter seeds that we will see soon enough, I don't know when, in Vancouver. Anyone know what kind of trees have these helicopter seeds? Um, actually, from maple trees, I had to look that up. I'm not that smart. So I had to look up it's maple trees. When you see that, that uh, hopefully one day a maple tree will grow. But for us, the, the gospel, it's what grows inside of it. And we are like the helicopter shell of it. We, we, when the wind blows, we take the gospel message wherever it is that the wind blows us to. The gospel is the substance inside that eventually grows and blossoms. So this persecution, it broke out and Philip didn't flee, but he went on proclaiming the word of God. And look where he goes. Look where he goes. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And this is important. Samaria is a hilly part of the country between Judea and Galilee and was home to people whom the Jews did not get along with. The Jews on either side had deep suspicions about them. They did not like them. In fact, the Jews, they despised the Samaritans. Not only did the Samaritans, uh, uh, not only did the Samaritans keep a, a, a different form of Judaism uh, with uh, different uh, elements of belief, but they were also not considered Jewish. They were not considered neither Jewish nor Gentile. So there were half and half. Uh, for you Harry Potter fans, they were considered half-breeds out there, uh, half muggle, and what's the other half, magic people, uh, wizards, <laughs> uh, 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 muggles and, and, and wizards, uh, and so here they saw them as half-breeds, right, like they did not get along, they're like, we don't associate ourselves with you, and that makes what Philip did even more remarkable, even more remarkable, instead of going away, he went towards, instead of going away from where you're not supposed to be, he went towards. He went towards a place where no one else wanted to go. He went towards a people that none of his fellow Jews wanted to have anything to do with. As we think about pioneering in the gospel and as, the gospel, as we carry the seeds of the gospel inside of us, we understand this, that persecution made them go where they otherwise never would have gone. That this pressure that they experienced, this persecution that they experienced made them go, make the disciples go, make the apostles go into places where they would have never gone otherwise. And for many of us, we're led to, as you think about where, like, where are you called to pioneer? Where are you called to make a difference? We're led to pioneer in places where we wouldn't be if we didn't experience that pain and that pressure. Instead of running away from those experiences and hiding away, we run towards it and say, God, what would you have me do with this? Where are you leading me to? Where, where are you calling me 
to go. It seems like if it wasn't for that persecution, Philip, Philip, he wouldn't have gone into Samaria. I don't know where he would have gone. But here we read, it's a direct connection between the persecution and him going to Samaria. And even though he's being persecuted, even though he should have been killed, the church should have died out, the church kept growing. And it reminds me of what Joseph experienced. And uh, when he was being persecuted and he's experienced suffering from his brothers who tried to kill him, in Genesis 50, 20, when he meets them again, he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we, as we think about our own lives and what's going around, on around the, in the world, with the suffering, the persecution that goes on, it is terrible, it is tragic. We don't wish that upon anyone and upon you here today, but God has a plan that God changes stories, that God heals, that God changes the brokenness of our lives and makes it into something beautiful. It's often if we can stand in that moment to look God in the eyes, in the face, and say, God, what would you have me do here? Instead of running away, to press in towards him. And maybe this is your life at the moment where you're going through the most chaotic time, the most confusing time, the most painful time. And it's been a rough season for you. Maybe not persecution per se, but it's rough. You're going through struggles. And the call here for us is that as maybe you feel like your faith is under attack even, is to pay attention to that pain. What is God saying to you? Where is God leading you? Because without this pain, without the suffering, without the struggle, you may not be going to where you need to go, where you need to be. Don't run away from the pressure because it might move us towards where God would have us. and Where God wants us to go, that is the best place for us. So we see here, because of this persecution, the early church was able to evangelize and proclaim the word in places that wouldn't have gone. And here, I like to do once in a while a little geeky study. I I do a little word study here. You might have noticed, what's the difference between in verse 4, preaching of the word and proclaiming the Messiah in verse 5? It really seems the same to me, well, the word used in verse 4 is evangelizo, which is to evangelize, uh, to bring the good news. So when they preach the word, they, they translate it as preach the word, but it really means to bring the good news. They went into a place that brought uh, the good news to that place. So when you're evangelizing, you're not responsible for making up what you're bringing. You're just bringing the good news. The good news is what it is. It's that, it's that Jesus is coming to save and that there's new life in him. That, there, that old life is gone, that there's new life in this God that we can believe, that resurrected himself from the dead, and we can experience this new hope, this new joy, this new life in him. We don't need to make that up. That's already been set, and that's already said and done. But we bring that message. We embody that message. We bring that to him no matter where it is that we go. It's like going to a potluck, kind of. Every illustration falls short. It's like going to a potluck. It's like the dish you're bringing it's already cooked because someone cooked it for you, and your only job is to bring that dish, all right, or to go to that restaurant or to pick up that food. You bring that food, you pick it up, and you just need to bring it to the party. That's evangelizing. You bring the good news. You just bring, and you go and share. You're not creating anything new. You're just sharing what you already know. You're sharing what you already experienced. How strange would it be to go to that party, that potluck, and bring that food and not give it to people and hide it off on the side, be like, I'm going to you know, put it in the closet underneath that person's jacket. And then they bring in a jacket, like, oh, why does my, you know, jacket smell like pizza <laughs> right now? No, you don't do that. Like, you bring it in, you share it. That's evangelizing. Then the word in proclaim is the word caruso, uh, which means to make an official announcement, to make a public announcement. 
So it's a little bit different than evangelizing because you have to go and to use words and to preach and to proclaim and to, and to announce something. It's the image of a, of a herald, if you were. It's like when you show up to that party, you don't just bring the food to the table and talk to those around you. You come and open the door and be like, hearie, hearie, <laughs> I'm bringing this dish, that kind of idea. So it's a little bit, little bit different. You see, proclamation may include evangelism, but evangelism does not always include proclamation. We, we, we kind of connect them in the same way. When we evangelize, we think we have to stand on that box in the corner to yell. Maybe. Maybe. But most of the time, it's you just sharing what you have experienced. That's what evangelizing is. Sharing what you have experienced with your friends, sharing what you've experienced with your family, sharing what you've experienced in God with your coworkers, with whoever that you encountered, that person on the bus, the person on the plane when we're allowed, well, when you fly again, the person or whoever it is that you encounter. So we see here that they went and they preached the word, they evangelized and also made an official announcement of why they're doing what they're doing. And none of this would have been possible without the persecution as well, spreading them out and sending them forth. And God had a plan here. So in fact, I want to encourage you that maybe in the pain and in your suffering and in whatever it is, in time of confusion you're going through, that these are actually tremendous and amazing moments for sharing the gospel as well. For the word to be proclaimed for God to be praised and worshipped, that God would get all the honor and glory despite the pain, the struggles that you are going through. That the pain that you're experiencing may just open up doors for you and conversations for you that you've never had before. In fact, at the end of the, cha- uh, end of the section of text in eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 25, we read this, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It's interesting. So it was from the persecution that they were sent. He went to this town of Samaria, and later on from this open door, they went to proclaim in many other places. And maybe that's your experience. You don't see it yet. You're like, God, I don't know why I'm standing here. I don't know why I'm going through this. But God's like, take that step. You're safe, and you're with me. I'm journeying with you. I only have good things for you. You don't know what awaits for you. Only if you believe, only if you take that step, only if you have, have faith in what God is doing. The passage continues on in verse 6. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And for, with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So we see here that with persecution, may send us to places and pioneer the way for the gospel in places that we never would have gone before. But we see here as well, for you here, especially if you have a faith and a relationship with Jesus, every Christian has a frontline ministry. Every one of us here has a frontline ministry, a place where we're called to make a difference, like where the gospel, the edge of the gospel, where people need to hear and they're not yet reached and they need to hear the message and be, be shared uh, to, to understand the good news. And we're all pioneers because we all have this frontline ministry. And what do I mean by this? What do I mean by this frontline ministry? You see, ministry doesn't only happen within the four walls here, what we do on Sundays or when we have classes and fellowships within this building. No, like it's so much more. Ministry is all of life, wherever it is that we go. It's especially true when you walk, ministry is especially true for you when you walk out of these doors. That's really when I would argue that the most important ministry really begins 
where God's calling you to be and what the difference he's calling you to make in the circles that only you are a part of, that that maybe is your frontline ministry. That there are so many things that need to be done in the world today. You're, you have a thousand things on your list that has to be done, and God knows that. God knows the agenda for today. God knows what you're going to encounter. God knows your struggles. God knows the difficulties. And instead of asking, as we walk out from this place, what needs to be done, maybe we can ask God, what are you leading me to today? Who are you leading me to today? What are you leading me to do? Who are you leading me to be with in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my school, in my community? Who is it? What is it? What's the assignment for me today? I'm going to live in that. It's very freeing to know that God already knows. And I just need to situate myself and just to be there. And God would do what he, only he can do. See, these everyday places like where you work might seem ordinary. You're like, hey, where I go to school, where I go to work, when I go home, those are just ordinary places. I know it every single day. I see the same people every single day. But I don't think there's an ordinary day in God's calendar. I really don't believe that. There's no ordinary day in God's calendar. He looks upon our seemingly ordinary day and he sees extraordinary opportunities for us to work with him, to partner with him, to, 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 to have fellowship with him, and to be part of the work that he's doing, drawing people closer to him. We're called to be a part of that. And we're reminded of this in, in uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus is saying, church, I've done everything that needs to be done already. I've done everything that needs to be done already. I've done the work. I've died, and I've resurrected myself from the grave, and no one else has done that. That's probably the most difficult thing that is possible uh, to be done. I've done that. I've made the sacrifice so that you can have forgiveness for your sins. No one else can do that for you either. And I've already done that. Now I'm passing on the work to you. I'm passing on the work to you. I was just having a conversation before the service. Uh, I haven't shared with that person, so I won't share his name. But he shared with me just how joyful he was. He's like, hey, I had this conversation where I sent out this email to share the gospel. And that person came off the plane, and after getting the, uh, after getting the luggage and getting home, I had a conversation about the gospel. And he accepted Jesus. Just like that, he accepted Jesus in that moment. Are you ready? And I, I was so overjoyed to hear that message. That here, we're reminded that for us to take the step of faith, all of us are just called to share. Nothing super fancy, nothing extra, extravagant. It's just the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that God only does what he can do. He says, I have done everything to make the way. You are just called to be faithful. You're called just to take that step and to go forth. And it's okay you don't know what you're doing. It's okay that you're confused. It's okay because you have a God that knows everything. And everything is going to be okay. Church, Lord's love this morning, we have to be reminded that Jesus gave us his power and authority to represent him. That we walk forth from this place with power, but also with love. As we speak and we share the message of the gospel. And maybe you're not sure where your front line is, so here's another question for you. Where do you spend the most time? Where do you spend the most time? How can you represent Jesus there? That's the simple question for you to reflect upon. Maybe that's where God's calling you. That is your frontline ministry. That is where you're called 
to serve. So look for these opportunities to invest in people. Look for opportunities to love because that's all we can really do at the end of the, end of the day. It's to love. It's to care for those around us. God is the one doing that transforming work. God is the one that's growing. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollo, Apollo's watered it, but what? But God made it grow. God is the one. God is the one in control. God is the one that makes the gospel seed grow in a person's heart. And God, he, it just takes you and me to partner with him, to see him, to understand that he is a God who loves and for us to join him in that service so that others around us can flourish as well. So what if we start thinking in this way, that every single day we're on assignment, no matter where you are. We're on assignment, and where you're situated is not by accident, that especially here today, that you're in this place not by accident, that God has the message for you and for me. In verse 4, it starts with the scattering of the church, and the section ends with this great joy in the city. That's what happens when the gospel is shared. That's what happens when the gospel is shared and Jesus is proclaimed. We've been seeing this starting back in Acts 4. There's this great power that leads to this great grace that's experienced. And then there's this great fear and reverence. Like, oh man, this God that we follow, like he's more powerful than I thought he was. I thought he is. And then it leads to this great joy. That's the life that we have in Christ. But then we see Simon the sorcerer, which is the last part of this uh, last part of this sermon here. Uh, Simon the sorcerer, where it's a reminder for us that where there is sheep, there are always going to be wolves. Where there are sheep, there's always going to be wolves, and Satan is bent on causing havoc in the church. And when he can't get at the church from the outside, like, oh, I killed Stephen, and the church kept growing. Oh, man, that backfired. That didn't go the way I, I could go. So what, if he doesn't come like a cheetah pouncing on his prey, he's going to come like a snake ready to deceive. That's what Satan does. And for us, it's to be reminded this morning, it's tempting to desire the power of God without the Spirit of God. It's too tempting for us when Satan comes in to want the things of God, to want the goodness of God, to experience all of God and who he is without actually wanting God, without actually wanting to experience him, to have his Spirit inside of us. And here we might be pioneers, but we need to consistently check ourselves. Every day, if our hearts is in the right place, it's possible that we just might want to do things in the name of God when our hearts are yearning for something else. Something flashing behind me? Okay, I thought we added some strobe lights or something. Uh, uh, it's tempting to desire. So for us, that we might be tempted to do things in the name of God when our hearts are anywhere clo uh, but close to Him. And we read this in verse uh, 9 to 11. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So this Simon, he's practicing magic, and we're not really sure what's really involved with that. Maybe he's dabbing into, uh, into the occult. Uh, but any, at any rate, it's, people are amazed, and they're... Uh, 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 they think this was marvelous, and they think that he was great. And people, they gave their attention, and people called him the great power of God, and people followed and were amazed by him. And there's a warning for us here, that even though we're called the pioneer and to do great things because of the Spirit of God within us, there's a warning here, just because people follow us doesn't mean we're doing the right thing. 
right? Just because people are following us, we need to be careful. It doesn't mean we're doing the right thing. Just because people are giving you attention and calling you great doesn't mean you're doing something godly either. Just because you're influential doesn't mean your influence is a good thing. There's a warning here. It's a warning right in this text. And I know that's hard to hear. It's a word, that's a word for me as well. But maybe something that needs to be reflected upon, that it's a strong word and a warning. And it really comes back down to our heart and where our heart is with our God. But we read here that Simon, he seems to experience this change. Verse 12, when, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So when we read on and we see how even though the Samaritans, even though they, uh, they believed, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. So the apostles in Jerusalem, they came down and they prayed for these new believers. In verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed, uh, they, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So how do we understand this? How is it possible that someone believe but not experience the Holy Spirit? What does that mean for you today? You're like thinking, well, okay, do I have the power? I want the power of God. I want to experience God myself, but do I have the Spirit of God within me? How do I know? Well, some commentators argue that it was necessary at that time for the apostles, in this case too, uh, Peter and John, to come and to impart the Holy Spirit onto the Samaritan believers uh, because of what was going on in that context, that the Samaritan church, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, as I mentioned before, they were split. They weren't reconciled. They were apart. They did not know each other. And this symbolic act of the apostles coming down and laying on of the hands of the Spirit signified the unity of the church, that they belonged. That they belonged. It's not much different, really, than when the, the First Nations church here uh, as we're talking about reconciliation and talking about what the Catholic Church and churches have done in the past, saying, hey, it would be really a sign of reconciliation if the Pope came to Canada personally. Different, same, same, but different, right? <laughs> like, came, it, it, there's something symbolic, there's an act there. Like here, God is joining two people that were apart back together through the symbolic act of laying on of hands. And also, second part, what would help us with this challenge is that, remember, Acts 1 to 10, it's a recording of a period of transition in the church. It's a transition of the church of Jesus coming down in his ministry in the gospel and the birth of the church, that this was a transitional time and this was not the norm. Again, remember what I mentioned, if this was the norm, it wouldn't be called miracles that we see all the time, that this was a transitional time and this was a one-time act that we saw here. But the bottom line is this, that God knows best, that sometimes what seems to be the long road Right? This Holy Spirit could have came upon the Samaritan believers at that time, and that was that. But it seems like they took the long road. It may be inefficient at times, but God's way is better. God knows what he's doing. God knows how to reconcile and bring people back together. God knows what he's doing, and there's a purpose for everything that he does. And if you're caught up in this way, and you're like, maybe I'm pioneering, maybe I'm making a way for the gospel, but it seems like I'm taking a very long way around, and it seems very inefficient, Trust that God knows. God knows where you are and what he's doing, and you're perfectly where you're supposed to be because God is leading you. 
Though it seemed like Simon believed at first, maybe he didn't, but he didn't fully believe, which we'll see in the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. He fully believed, which we'll see next week. But we read this in verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay out my hands on may receive the Spirit. Then Peter Then Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Because your heart is not in the right place. How do we know whether the Spirit of God is within us? We need to do a heart check, a check of have we been longing after God? Have we been desiring God? Have we been wanting God? Because the heart of Simon here, it was revealed, and so it will be with us. Sooner or later, our actions will be reveal the contents of our heart. Sooner or later, that will happen. In the Acts of the Apostle, it revealed that Simon didn't just want to perform the miracles, but he wanted, uh, he wanted the gifts of the Spirit uh, and to do that to others as well, and he's willing to pay for it. And that's wrong. That's not right. The heart is not in the good place. He thought he could buy the gift of God, and it revealed his heart through this action. So as I come to this end of this place, I, I'm thankful that Simon got a chance to repent. We don't really know what happened to him. But the difference here between Ananias and Sapphira, who dropped dead right away, was that it seems like Simon did repent, and he was given a chance to repent. And so it is for all of us who hears the word of God, for us to turn back to him and say, we have fallen away, but God is saying, I am still here. I have not walked away. I have not left you. I have not left you, son. I have not left you, daughter. You are exactly where you need to be. I know maybe you've wandered and maybe you've walked away and you walked away from me, but I am still here. And I still love you and I still want this relationship with you. And maybe some of you here today, you're feeling convicted by this that either you haven't fully believed or you once believed, but you've fallen away. And I'm going to give a moment here for us to pray, for me to pray. This is for you. Um, yeah, Wapping, uh, come on up. Uh, I want to pray for you, and if you so want to receive the Holy Spirit today, for you to receive the Spirit of God, for you to say, God, I've walked away from you, and I want to experience you again. Nothing hokey, nothing magical, just a simple prayer for you. So at this moment, let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Maybe you're feeling like your spiritual life has been waning at this time. Or maybe you feel like you have walked away from God and you're wanting the Holy Spirit again. I want you at this moment, as no one else is looking, to just raise your hand as a sign. You say, I want the Spirit of God again. I want Him to fill me at this moment, and I want this life in Him. Thank you. So, Father, in this moment... As we come before you, God, for everyone in this room, God, that have been listening to this message, God, that you've been already reaching out to us before we reached out to you, that you knew our hearts, God, before we knew you. So, Father, at this moment, I pray for those that want to be filled with your spirit once again. It's not like you've left. It's not like you've gone away. You've been with us the whole time, but at this moment, we're saying yes to you again. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to descend upon us. 
for you to fill our lives once again, Lord. For us to say yes to you, to trust you, and to believe in you, to have faith in you, that you are our God. We do not want to walk away from you. We do not want the power of God without the Spirit of God. So Spirit, fill us now. And we thank you that you're with us always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.